Welcome to the Addiction Connection. We like to believe the opposite of addiction is actually connection, and we are going to attempt to educate you and possibly even entertain you while we navigate all topics addiction. Hi, I'm Dr. Kirk Devine. And I'm Dr. Heather Bell, and we both provide primary care and addiction services. It's our goal to help you learn more about the disease of addiction and its treatments. Welcome back, everybody. I'm, I'm still living in a shed, and that would be the site of the addiction podcast. So yes, today... It gives me a lot of anxiety. Yeah, my house, <laughs> I got nine days, and then my house will be done being built. So today is a continuation of the hepatitis C. We did the primer previously, or primer, depending no on... No one says primer. I've heard it. And so today we're going to actually be doing kind of the finish up on that, or at least really hit the meat of the, the whole subject here. And it's actually Heather's baby here. She's going to do this. I'm just going to be commentary, kind of color commentary. Yeah, even though he's got black and white slides. But yeah, this is complicated because well, we start getting into treatments, and I can't guarantee Kurt knows what any of this means. Well, last week we did testosterone, and you know nothing about testosterone. So this week is your turn because hep C is right up your alley. So... What does that mean? I mean, you're just, yeah, yeah. You're so smart. There you go. Go So I will first thank Dr. Sanjeev Arora, of course, who is the guru, the inventor, the extraordinaire of Project Echo, which, of course, we do Wednesdays on our addiction stuff. But he, I modified this to make it English um, and understandable. And then I added a little bit of stuff here at the beginning where we're going to talk a little bit more about cirrhosis as well as how you screen for and things that progress to have, you know, by English, you mean you made the word smaller. I made, <laughs> took away a lot of syllables. And then we'll talk a little bit about hepatocellular carcinoma, um, because it is all related to hepatitis C. It's, we just made it. I, I had to take out a lot of his slides cause they didn't make sense. Okay. So things that increase your risk of getting cirrhosis obesity, smoking, marijuana. Actually, the odds ratio of marijuana increasing your risk of cirrhosis is 3.4. Wow. Curtis has no idea what he was talking about. No, that's, about. that's actually kind of high. It's kind of high. Um, things that can help minimize your risk of cirrhosis is losing weight, smoking cessation, and stop smoking marijuana. Well, it's sometimes not that easy. Although the, you addic- you know, the actual addiction rate of marijuana is fairly low. Right, but you know... So other things that actually, I mean, the common things being common, alcohol obviously makes it worse, older age male. Sorry, Kurt, hopefully you don't have any of these issues, but... Here we go again. One interesting thing that can actually lessen cirrhosis risk and not telling anybody in the universe that this is a treatment, but coffee consumption. I find that pretty crazy. How about Diet Mountain Dew? I was just going to say not Diet Mountain Dew. I was literally going to say that. So clearly it's not the caffeine. It's other things in the coffee. Isn't the coffee also the decreased colon cancer risk too? Yeah. Yeah, god darn coffee. You might want to start liking it. I'm going to have to switch. (laughs) Oh my gosh, you want coffee, which has higher caffeine. Mm. Okay, so we're talking about alcohol mixed with hepatitis C. So really the, the... Take home is you should not drink any alcohol if you have hepatitis C. Not even just small amounts, none. Because together they make the damage much worse. More fibrosis. More fibrosis. And there's a huge rate of increasing fibrosis for every consumption of alcohol. And I could break down the percentages, but they're kind of hard to understand while you're listening to this on your run in the morning or your drive. Well, you know, I had a guy say to me once that he'd quit drinking and he just drank beer now. 
So <laughs> can you do that? No, there's okay. alcohol in that. Okay. Um, and one interesting thing, if you're, you have hepatitis C and alcohol use, it actually decreases your response to interferon, which can sometimes be used as an adjunct treatment for the treatment of hepatitis C. Mm-hmm. Especially if you have had medications to treat hepatitis C in the past, and then for whatever reason your hepatitis C never got treated the first time, sometimes they have to use hepati- or interferon on top of it. Mm. So you really shouldn't be using alcohol. So abstinence, that's the key. Correct. All right. There you go. Okay, so people who need treatment immediately have a lot of kind of more of those significant diagnoses. Um, essential mixed cryoglobulinemia. Leukocytoclastic vasculitis, some Hodgkin's lymphoma, um, a bunch of stuff. Renal disease, a lot of renal disease. You really, really, really want to treat your hepatitis C. Mm. That's because of that whole hepatorenal thing. Uh, do you remember that? I do. It was just, they were just starting to study it when I was in medical school. <laughs> Are you serious? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I was like, everybody in residency had that. Okay, so how do you screen for hepatitis, or excuse me, for hepatocellular carcinoma? Gold well, standard. I would probably ultrasound them. Right. That's the answer. Mm. Um, and it's interesting because in my doctoring history of, you know, less than a decade, people always want to just do blood work. It's easier for the doctor. It's easier for the patient um, to just get another blood drawn. But really. And you're just talking doing the AFPs. The AFP, the alpha yeah. protein. So. The problem is, is if you just do the AFP, you can actually miss a significant amount. Um, although it's better than nothing, although the gold standard again is ultrasound, combining them is even better. So you really want to do them both. Um, the ultrasound does definitely increase the specificity. Hmm. How about doing them both? Doing them both definitely is better than doing just the AFP, but ultimately you want to do the ultrasound. So then you have people who really like more expensive types of imaging, CTs and MRIs. Ironically, they're just really not good. I mean, CT scan, you can miss the the rate of detecting a tumor in the liver with a CT scan is only 53 to 91%. Obviously a huge range, but you don't want to be the 50% that's missed if you're in that end of the range. Well, it's not often... That cheaper is better, but it looks like cheaper is better. Cheaper is better here. All right. So ultrasound and AFP, winner, winner, chicken dinner. But if you only had to do one, ultrasound it Ultrasound. Is. Okay. All right. The other thing you need to worry about in a person who has cirrhosis um, is these esophageal varices. So the dilated blood vessels in the esophagus, huge, huge morbidity and mortality if you are a patient who gets a bleed in one of these um, varices. So... Mm. Every two to three years, but mostly people err on the side of doing it every two years. You can miss a huge amount. Um, almost 85% no, go ahead. of people with decompensated cirrhosis, so cirrhosis, can get esophageal issues every year. Wow. So, not a good thing. Um, you know, these pictures you have on here are disturbing. Yeah, it's a bunch of varices. But if you have varices, 10 to 15% chance of a bleed every year. That's a lot. I just, uh, it's funny you're doing this because I I wasn't quite sure what to do with this guy. I have a lot of alcohol people right now on medications. And uh, this uh, guy just had a bleed. 
And uh, yeah, so he probably needs to be screened. He should be screened. Um, I'm only going to have to just get right on this. You know, and I really don't in this talk go into the diagnostic, how you say they have cirrhosis versus not. We'll get to some of the tests you should do in a Hmm. couple slides. I'm not going to go into the details of which one of those is better. Um, But if he has a bleed from a varices and he drinks alcohol, I mean, he's got cirrhosis. Darn it. Darn it. So then you need to start doing all the other screening, like the ultrasound every six months. That's a lot. Every six months. Yeah. But anyway. So there are a lot of medications out there that can actually cause drug-induced liver injury. Dilly. <laughs> That's something my grandpa used to say, dilly, dilly. Yeah. Oh, stop. Is that what you used to say? <laughs> no, I've never said dilly, dilly. Okay. But this is people who don't have high risk for liver issues. And you give them medications, the most common are actually antimicrobials. So antibiotics and anti-tuberculosis, why they separated them here. They actually cause 46% of all cases of direct liver injury. Man, I wouldn't have guessed it's that high. I know, right? I mean, so. I just assumed it was like 95% alcohol. Right. But it's okay. not. Now, this one study... Now, the the disclaimer on this one study is they did not include the -the over-the-counter medications, so like your NSAIDs or your herbals. So this isn't the greatest study because they missed a few. Um, But if you're going to put the most common antibiotic or antimicrobial, chlorpromazine, which isn't actually an antimicrobial, but um, the most common is azathioprine, sulfasalamine, sulfasalazine, excuse me, and nobody should ever really use Augmentin, apparently. Yeah, one in 11,000, almost 12,000. But in Now I'm going to start saying that to patients. Be like, I'd love to give you Augmentin, ma'am, but... Not only could, am I going to give you diarrhea. Yeah, you're going to really have trouble because, well, it's going to wreck your liver one in 12,000 times. There you go. <laughs> They're going to be like, ah, uh, I have it. this horrible sinus infection. I'll take that risk. Okay, so other drugs to avoid if you have known hepatic dysfunction. So people who already have some liver concerns, whether they have hep C or they just have some liver abnormalities, maybe they have fatty liver, um, things that really should be avoided. There's three different studies here, so the list varies, but Augmentin is the number one drug to avoid in all three studies. You know what I find interesting about that? You know, I don't know how many times you've been exposed to TB. Um, just once in residency. Yeah, you know, I've had TB a few times. And <laughs> and every time it's like, okay, isonize it. And the first thought you have is what? When you, somebody says, well, you're going to have to go and isonize it. The liver. Oh my God, you're going to kill my liver. But it's actually worse with Augmentin. Mm-hmm. I'm suddenly not afraid Isn't to that get weird? tuberculosis. I mean, although yeah. it's number two on the list, I said, it, but... Still. But nitrofurantoin? Ooh. I mean, mac- I mean, come on. Yeah. Minocycline? I mean, these are things we yeah. use. So Bactrim's on there, too. It sure is on one of the studies, so... Mm. I mean, just just be aware. This is another reason why antibiotics should, should have stewardship of antibiotics, mm. so... And then, of course, the yeah, NSAIDs. So if you have known liver injury, you should really not use the NSAIDs. Aspirins, ibuprofen, naproxen increases the risk of GI bleed. And we just talked about the varices. So clearly, if you get a bleed, you don't really want this to be part of it. Nope. Um, and then they can increase that liver issues. Um, and then you don't respond to the diuretics as well. So mm. now this next study, we're going to kind of brush over it just because it's kind of complicated unless you can see it. But I just found this to be a really cool study. Because it's really talking about, you know, the things that Kurt and I talk a lot about is, you know, substances of abuse. And this... I thought you were going to say Mountain Day, Mountain Dew, but okay, That's go just ahead. you, you talk about it. I mean, he... 
I'm assuming you probably talk about it in your sleep. Can you imagine? It's that new cookbook, Diamond Du Cookbook I'm coming out with. But anyway, go ahead. No, that's a good idea. I bet they already have one somewhere. Anyway, so this study, which was actually done in Brazil, looked at marijuana as well as marijuana mixed with alcohol or marijuana mixed with crack cocaine. Because To be clear, is it marijuana mixed in the alcohol? No, used okay. at the same time. I'm sorry. Okay. Yeah, it sounds like that way. Now, the, the, this study actually only looked at those substances but did not include IV route, although most of those substances aren't used IV. And there was a lot of excluded people, people who use any type of IV drugs, homosexuality, acupuncture, blood transfusions, so other things that could increase your risk of like hepatitis and liver or um, viral things. Mm. So they looked at all this. They measured a bunch of blood work, and they kind of followed these people. I'm not like, going to go into Like the just deep. followed them around or... Followed their blood work and their health history over time. Please be more specific I'm next time. Sorry, I'm sorry. One thing that came out of this study, which of course wasn't the point of the study, is that after the first time a person used marijuana, within a year they had started crack or alcohol in the people who used more than just marijuana. Hmm. That's that whole gateway drug thing. Well, it's kind of like the stuff out of Colorado where they showed that they thought the alcohol use would go down with the marijuana being legalized. In fact, it went up. So, right. yeah, so mixing those two together and then they're disinhibited and then what's your next step? Correct. A little crack. <laughs> Just a little bit. Um, and again, this study was in Brazil. They didn't look at any of the, the opioids at this point because this study was actually done um, quite a bit ago. It was in October of 96 through December of 98 is when the study was done. But there's not many studies out there looking at marijuana's effect on the liver. One thing you'll have to be aware of in heavy marijuana users, and they didn't really necessarily go into the heavy, but you often won't see typical signs of liver issue. You are not going to see the jaundice. Um, you will see some mild liver function abnormalities, which we'll get to. Um, but you're not going to see, you know, the, the um, hepatomegaly, the splenomegaly, any of those things. Oh, it's like hypertension being the silent killer. Marijuana just like slowly wrecks your liver and you don't even know. You don't even know. So. Wow. So if I you. Did, I didn't know that. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. So if you look at the liver functions, marijuana alone, you are going to have slight changes and that are quite frequent. So most people will have some slight abnormalities in their AST and their ALT and their elk FOS about half the time if they're using marijuana with alcohol, as you'd expect, because of alcohol's own damage to the liver, you're going to have um, much more abnormalities. It's going to enhance the, the toxicity of both drugs. So they kind of have this additive effect. But if you're looking at the AST to ALT ratio, which of course we know in alcohol, the AST to ALT, when it hits two, you pretty much assume they're drinking a lot of alcohol. Should I tell you how to remember this? If you're using the PG version. Yeah, salt. So S slash ALT, salt. So, so you remember the salt. The AST's on top, ALT's on bottom. Correct. Salt. So in marijuana, marijuana with crack, marijuana with alcohol, the ratio is always going to be Right around that one and a half. So that AST is elevated. How about viral hepatitis? Typically less than one. So That's, just something to be aware of. So when you see them in the ER, they've had a little to drink. It could be in the middle though. Right. Heavy alcohol, it's going to be close to two. All right. There you go. Viral hepatitis, not so much. Less than one. Correct. So this take-home points, which I should have maybe started with, um, increased potency, which has happened obviously with THC over time. 
um, definitely amplifies the liver damage. It's definitely dose-related. People who have more liver damage are people who used earlier, more frequent, higher dose, use it for longer periods of time. People who are having, you know, nutritional deficit. So people who have low albumin, you'll have even increased liver damage. So kind of the take home with that is if they're using other substances, which would cause them to be more malnourished, we're thinking the crack, we're thinking more opioids. The marijuana has a more toxic effect on the liver. So Mm. anyway, people who use marijuana also have actually increased risk of illicit use, therefore hepatitis B and C as well, increased risk of sexually transmitted diseases, which can impact the liver. And Mm. there you go. So then let's say somebody walks in and you're looking at them and you're wondering, you know, what are the things I'm looking for? Looking for suggesting cirrhosis. cirrhosis. So um, spider nevi, red palms, gynecomastia, firm liver, elevated, elevated, enlarged spleen. A big old spleen. Big old spleen. And then there's a bunch of labs. Hmm. Low platelets, low serum albumin. We've talked about that. Oh, and of course they're clotting. That can be a problem. There you go. Um, and then there's a bunch of this other stuff that, again, we're not going to go into. So the APRI score, the FibroSure test, ultrasound, elastography. So these are all things to think about. This is where you'd get your friendly hepatologist involved. Liver biopsies. I don't recommend doing that as a procedure in the clinic. That just sounds like it would hurt. <laughs> so how do you know who to treat or when should you treat? I mean, at this point, with the medications we're going to get to quickly... Um, you're really going to want to just kind of treat people, but not everyone's going to be ready in their life. So stage of life definitely plays into it. Um, patient preference plays into, but obviously if they're, you know, doing a little bit more risky behaviors, you're going to really want to treat them so they don't start spreading hepatitis C to other people. So this is that whole harm reduction thing. Yeah. And remember that we had that whole thing on that last talk about when you treat them, you know, and there's been that big push to treat them, even if they are not totally in recovery. Correct. So keep that in mind. Okay, we're going to do a quick and dirty of all the meds, which you're going to want to look it up or, you know, email me and I can send you these fun slides. But there's a lot of places that medications can act on the cell walls that can effectively treat hepatitis C. So I'm not going to obviously describe that to you, but there's been a timeline. So basically hepatitis C cures have been around since late 2013s. Um, about six more common medications now using. The first one, Sovaldi generic, Sofosbuvir, only has one mechanism of action that's part of it, really works on any of the genotypes, um, once daily, so really easy, doesn't have many drug reactions, well tolerated. And less resistance. Less resistance, so... That's why it kind of became the first on the list. Now, Harvoni, which is a combination of that last one plus Ledipazvir. Sorry, it's like hurricaning outside, I think. I don't know if that was the, a cat jumping off something. But anyway, <laughs> but so, Harvoni's the one with all the commercials. Great. Because Harvoni, Harvoni was the first one they actually said, this one will cure. You know how you remember this drug? Zamboni. Okay, we're not going to start singing. I want to ride the bent. I want to drive the Zamboni. There you go. Martin Seller. There. Your yes, daddy's. I know that. My okay. daughter figure skates. We L- see Zambonis and sing it all the time. Yeah, look that one up. Maybe Great. maybe Casey at the end of here, Battle Legs, has a Zamboni song. That would be cool. I am not sure, but if they play that, 
We should tell them. Anyway, so also one pill a day. Now, majority of people are going to be on this for 12 weeks, but if you've been in treatment of any kind in the past, that can vary. It only impacts genotypes 1, 4, 5, and 6. The big issue with Harvoni, though, and this is to keep in mind, is it can reactivate hepatitis B. So you really want to make sure they never had hepatitis B before you just throw this medication at them. Yeah, I don't like that. It's like, hey, I'm going to give you this antidepressant, but you might get psychotic. (laughs) It's like, oh, I'm going to give you this, but it might give your hepatitis B a little kick. The other thing with Harvoni you have to watch is if they're on amiodarone, do not use this medication. It can cause life-threatening bradycardia. Um, You really want to follow the LFTs, so the liver functions, which is interesting because you're treating a liver disease, but that's okay. Um, but you can take it with decompensated cirrhosis, but sometimes you'll just need to take it longer. So I'm surprised in renal failure you can take that. This one you can. Oh. So this is one you can on end state, even on dialysis, you can take this one without any dose changes. So the next one, Zepatir. So this is using totally different combo meds. So it's again two com two meds together, still once a day. Mm. Very specific genotypes, one A, one B, and four. So again, you're going to want to follow LFTs. Um, now, you need to do resistance testing if they have genotype 1A. I don't mm. know what that means, if it's like the whole pretest before you give peanuts to a person with a peanut allergy in the past, but... I'm sure it's exactly the same. <laughs> but again, you can use this one in people who are in end-stage renal disease, even if they're on hemodialysis. So, um, And then you just... it. This one you cannot use if they have um, class B or class C cirrhosis. So this one you can't use if they're too, you know, ill in the cirrhosis world. You know, you, you put their uh, chemical makeup, you know, with next to each drug, and I'm memorizing those. <laughs> yeah, the chemical structures I put in here yeah. just because they're really cool looking. Yeah. But, yeah. Okay, I lied. I, I don't even care. No. Okay, next one, Eplusa. So this ba- adds back in that... Um, sulfobuvir and the velpatosphere. There you go. So you can use it for any genotype. If you've had different experiment with treatment before, you're going to need to add medications. Um, there's You can use it in decompensated cirrhosis. It doesn't say you need to change dosing even for end-stage renal disease. Um, really not a ton. Very infrequent lab abnormalities. You might have some lipase elevation. There is another black box warning on this one, though, for the hepatitis B reactivation. And I, so. really, I really dislike that. But okay. Right. And don't take it with antacid. So if you're a big heartburning person, you can't take Epclusa. Mm. So two drugs left. Bosevi. 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 Now this one actually has three different drugs all combined into one. So that just sounds better to me, but whatever. Mm. This one you can use with the GFR anywhere above 30. So you can't use this one if they're in the dialysis range. Still once a day. Um, can use it without cirrhosis and only class A cirrhosis. Um, some just common adverse reactions, you know, headaches, fatigue, the, the typical. But this one can increase bilirubin. It's non-significant. It's just because of the bilirubin transporters, but it can increase the body's bilirubin. So don't necessarily freak out that you're causing liver disease with the med. It's usually a transient elevated bilirubin. Mm. And last but not least, Marmot. No, that's not the name. Maverick. Maverick. Now I remember like when- Marmot. Okay. <laughs> no, it doesn't. Anyway, when Dr. Sanjeev talked about this one, he said this one, he kind of loves it, but you have to this one's harder to get because it's clearly the newest. It's just from 2019. 
Now, this one is three tablets once a day with food. It's all at the same time. But they have like cartons for each day. And then they have these cute boxes for each week. Well, that's the important part, a cute box. Cute box. This one you can use in people who have hepatitis C and HIV. Wow. So all the genotypes. But this one is kind of the one you really want to look at. Now, some of them you can use with HIV as well. But this is kind of the one that's touted to focus on this one. Um, again, any stage renal impairment, you can only use this in cirrhosis class A. Um, if they have moderate impairment of their liver, you cannot use it. Totally contraindicated in severe hepatic impairment. And then your kind of common adverse effects, although this one added some pruritus. This is my favorite chemical structure, the Maverit is. It's huge. It's huge. If you turn it upside down, it looks like an M, though. It does. It does. So, in conclusion. Wow. Less than 6% of the world's population of hepatitis C patients have been cured. I need to change this. It should say fewer. I know. I was saying that. <laughs> I was just trying to see if you'd catch that. There you go. Um, but now the, the thing to know is obviously there's now highly effective treatments. These are treatments as opposed to back in the day where you'd kind of give it to like slow the progression. These actually treat hepatitis yeah. C. Yeah. 30 years ago, there really wasn't much. So it's... Millions of lives around the world. Hepatitis of course, 30 years ago, over. there was only one cephalosporin. <laughs> Sorry. 30 years ago, they probably only knew there was one hepatitis. I remember when Cipro showed up. All right, keep going. Anyway, so again, highly effective treatments. And then, of course, there's all this controversy on who can prescribe these medications. Primary care in Minnesota can now. Um, but it's, again, do you need to have a person six months into recovery or should you do the harm reduction thing? Clearly, being addiction doctors, we think harm reduction is kind of the big deal. But if a person starts and stops and starts and stops, it's going to be harder to treat them in the future. Yes. So, so get it done early and finish the treatment. There you go. So with that, sorry we went a little long on this one, but hepatitis C is kind of a big deal. It's a big deal. Big deal. So we'll let Battle Lakes take over, and I hope they have Zamboni. All right. Well, thank you, everybody, for listening. See you, or you can hear us next week. Hey, I feel sick and I feel used. You ain't the boy I thought I knew. You know you put me on your shelf. You never think of no one else but yourself Lord, I'm sick and Lord, I'm tired of love Lord, I can't believe it's true Think that after five years I'd know you but I don't And after all this time Come to find you're just another stupid boy You're just another stupid boy Hey, I'd done anything for you Just about anything you'd ask me to I put your needs above my own Can't stand to be alone, but I live. Lord, I'm sick.
sick and Lord, I'm tired of love. Lord, I can't believe it's true. You think that after five years I would know you, but I don't. And after all this time, I come to find you're just another stupid boy. You're just another stupid boy. Stupid boy, you're just another stupid boy.